Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 to 18. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream, interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal, till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen of Sydney. I am an ambassador from the great kingdom of Babylon, and I bring greetings to you from our mighty and glorious king. Now, even though none of you here are citizens of Babylon, I have no doubt that you are all familiar with who he is. He is, of course, the ruler of the world, conqueror over Assyria, Egypt, 
and Israel. He's the one who brought our Babylonian empire into its golden age, builder of one of the most uh, famous wonders of the ancient world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. He is the greatest king that the world has ever seen, the king of kings, the one, the only King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, guys, you know, at the very least, at the sound of his name, you ought to be cheering and clapping. I mean, he is a royal. See, if we were in Babylon, you would have to fall down on your hands and knees and worship him. But look, just on this one occasion, I'm willing to overlook your impudence. Just this once. Now look, I've come here today with a special, special message from our king. Allow me to read to you the message that he has for you. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure uh, to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Now, you may or may not know this already, but we Babylonians, we worship many, many gods. Uh, and in our religion, the god that reigns above all other gods, the god of gods, is called Marduk. But when you hear this message from our king, the god that he refers to as the most high god, it's actually not Marduk. It is the god that is worshipped by the Israelites and by you Christians. And King Nebuchadnezzar here calls him the most high God, even higher than our God, Marduk. Now, how can this be, you might wonder? Well, to understand this, I need to tell you a little bit of background to this message uh, that I read up for you just now and how this message came about. See, one time, our great King Nebuchadnezzar, he was taking a stroll on the rooftop of his palace. From his high vantage point, he could look out over the entire city of Babylon. And under his reign, this, king, this kingdom, this city, had flourished, it had grown and transformed into a great city, a great city with many great uh, buildings. I've already mentioned the, uh, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the famous hanging gardens of Babylon. He also built many uh, amazing uh, temples to our gods, many uh, lavish palaces for, for himself and his uh, royal uh, entourage. Uh, he built an enormous gold statue of himself so that people might see this statue and worship him. And this whole city was protected on all sides by a giant wall, and even the gates itself were highly decorated. Now, it's hard to describe to you just how magnificent our city of Babylon was. There is nothing in your little city that even compares to Babylon. See, as the supreme ruler, King Nebuchadnezzar could build whatever he wanted. He didn't need any council approvals, no budget limitations, no shortage of materials, uh, the best of builders and carpenters and craftsmen and engineers. And so as King Nebuchadnezzar was walking along the rooftop of his palace, surveying all that he had built, all that he had done, you know, this was the, at the height of his success as a king. You know, his enemies had all been defeated. There was peace throughout the land. His power and his wealth were unrivaled. And as King Nebuchadnezzar reflected on all that he had achieved, he said this to himself. He said, is this 
not the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and the glory of my majesty. And he was basically saying to himself, I am the greatest. There was no doubt about it. But as soon as he said these words, something strange happened to him. He suddenly fell to the ground and started crawling. And instead of speaking, started making weird animal noises. His eyes started to look, had this feral look to them. And he even started to eat grass like an ox. It was as if something snapped inside of his mind and he became like this wild beast. We called in all the royal physicians. They, they didn't know what to do. They'd never seen this before. We called in also the magicians and enchanters and sorcerers and astrologers. And they tried all of their different black arts and nothing worked. Nothing could sort out whatever it was that happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king had, had gone mad or maybe cursed or, or possessed. We, we don't know. Something very strange was happening. And we were completely baffled for quite a while until one of the court officials remembered something that had happened to our king 12 months earlier. See, 12 months earlier, there was one night where King Nebuchadnezzar had woken up after a terrifying nightmare. In his dream, he told us, there was an enormous tree that so large and so strong it grew up to even touch the sky. The, the leaves of this tree were beautiful, its fruit abundant, many animals and birds made their home uh, in and under this tree. It was a beautiful tree, a beautiful scene in this dream. And yet suddenly in the dream, a voice commanded from heaven that this tree be chopped down, its branches trimmed off, and it stripped off all its leaves and fruit, leaving only the stump of this tree. Now, in our culture, we believe that dreams like these were messages from the gods. And on this occasion, it's not hard to see why the King Nebuchadnezzar was terrified after waking up from this dream. I mean, this dream was clearly bad news of some sort. And so the king summoned all his wise men to come and to interpret this dream for him. And yet none of them, none of them could do a thing. None of them knew what it meant. What a hopeless bunch of charlatans. I mean, this wasn't the first time these so-called wise men had failed either. I mean, last time King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, it was a, something about a statue, and, and they couldn't interpret what this dream was about. And their excuse was that, well, the king refused to tell them what was in the dream, so how could they interpret it? But this time, the king told them everything that was in the dream, and they still couldn't interpret it. Right? These guys are as useful as a glass hammer. And so finally, they had to call in Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar was the, the chief of the wise men and one of the highest officials in the whole kingdom. Now, you might know him by his Hebrew name, uh, the name Daniel. Daniel was a young man that King Nebuchadnezzar had recruited from among the Israelites that he had conquered. And over the years, Daniel had risen quickly through the ranks uh, after showing himself time and time again to be better than all the other magicians and wise men in the kingdom. And last time when the wise men couldn't interpret the dream, it was Daniel who came to the rescue. He could interpret the dream because we've discovered he had the spirit of the holy gods in him. 
He worships the God who can reveal even the most mystifying of mysteries. And so King Nebuchadnezzar uh, told Daniel the dream that he had. And when Daniel heard this dream, his face went ghostly pale. And just looking at his face, I mean, it confirmed our worst fears. This dream was definitely, definitely bad news. Very bad news. And Daniel was actually silent for a long time. It was clear from just his body language that, that he knew what this dream was about. But for some reason, he was afraid. He was afraid to speak what he understood. Maybe he, he actually even cared for the king, and he didn't want this bad news to befall our, our great king. But nonetheless, King Nebuchadnezzar encouraged him to, to tell him what it was that he understood. And so this is what Daniel said. He said, The tree that you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruits and providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to the distant part of the earth. See, this tree was a symbol for the greatness of our king and the most appropriate image, I would say. Just as everything about the tree looked healthy and vibrant and fruitful, so equally was the majesty and magnificence and the glory of our king. I mean, under his kingship, as I've already shared, Babylon went from a small little nation to becoming a massive empire that spanned the entire earth. All the creatures on earth, great and small, looked to him for life, for food, and for shelter. But then came the second half of the dream. And Daniel continued. He said, Your Majesty, you saw a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. And once we were reminded of this dream that happened 12 months earlier, we were like, oh, so that's what's going on. It's so obvious now that we remember this dream. What had happened to King Nebuchadnezzar was a fulfillment of this dream. See, it wasn't an illness that had befallen him that a, that a doctor could cure. It wasn't a curse placed upon him that could be lifted by magic. It wasn't an evil spirit that came upon him that could be cast up by spells. This was divine punishment. And in the dream, not only was this tree cut down, it was, uh, its branches was trimmed off, it was stripped of its leaves, its fruit was scattered, and even the animals and the birds fled from it. See, from his lofty heights, as the king of kings, as a ruler over the, uh, the whole world, King Nebuchadnezzar came crashing down to the earth and became the lowest of the low. The Most High God had humbled him by changing his mind from that of a man to that of an animal. Now, at the time, Daniel had tried to warn our king 
to take this dream seriously. He was so bold as to even suggest that our king renounce his sins and be kind to the oppressed. Now, at the time, I thought, whoa, 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 this guy, Daniel, he's overstepping the line a bit, isn't he? I mean, he's just an official. Who is he to tell the king that he needs to repent? Who is he to talk to the king like that, to accuse his majesty of any wickedness? I mean, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's not like any of the politicians you guys have in this country. I mean, his word is the law. He determines what is right and wrong in the country. So how can he have any sin to repent of? But now that the king has gone crazy, well, thinking back, maybe that was kind of the point. That as the king, it seemed like he was not accountable to anybody. And yet God gave him this dream to remind him that even the most powerful man on the earth is not beyond reproach. Well, at the time, it was hard to know what King Nebuchadnezzar thought of this dream's interpretation. Because after Daniel finished speaking, we were all dismissed. And, and in the days and weeks after that, there were no noticeable change in anything he did. There was no changes in his policies and how he treated the poor. Maybe just perhaps nothing changed because the dream was just quickly forgotten. Since there were no immediate consequences, nothing happened to him right after. And to be honest, you know, aren't we all a little bit like that? You know, sometimes we take it for granted that our actions, they don't always have immediate consequences, do they? I mean, when we sin, when we do the wrong thing, we aren't immediately struck down by lightning. And so we think, oh, it's okay, not a big deal. But it's clear from what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar that the God Most High does see all that is going on. Even the unspoken thing, thoughts in our minds and even the deepest desires of our hearts. Nothing in all the earth is hidden from his sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now fortunately, it is also clear from this story that the Most High God is patient. He gave King Nebuchadnezzar ample opportunity to change. I mean, he gave him an early warning through the dreams in fact, let me think about it. Wasn't the previous dream about the statue, wasn't that also a warning? Yeah, I, th I think it was. God had actually given King Nebuchadnezzar two warnings through dreams. And each time he had also sent Daniel to come and explain this dream to the king so that he would clearly understand what it's about. And then God gave him 12 months to have an opportunity to amend his ways. Now, if our great King Nebuchadnezzar could not avoid the judgment of the Most High God, then I'm pretty sure that a day is coming when all of us, each of us, would have to give an answer to Him as well. And it would be so easy to make the mistake, uh, to mistake God's patience as apathy. It would be easy to mistake His leniency as indifference and His kindness as something cheap and easy. Let me tell you, friends, don't be a fool. Heed the warning this morning and renounce your sins while there is still time. Now, I'm glad to say the story doesn't end there, and our king did not stay as a crazy wild animal, uh, because there was still one more bit of the dream that I haven't mentioned yet. Do you remember in the dream that after the tree was cut down, what the messenger from heaven said? This is what he said. Leave the stump in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. 
See, this tree, whilst it was cut down, while it was stripped of all its glory and majesty, the tree was not completely uprooted and destroyed. There were still the remains of the stump and the roots in the ground. And this was Daniel's explanation to the king of what this meant. He said, seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, and he gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge the heaven rules. It was a relief to, to us, at least, to remember that this dream includes a promise of restoration. This was not the end for our king. Now, we didn't know how long it would take for King Nebuchadnezzar to be restored uh, to normal. It mentions seven times will pass, and we weren't sure if that meant seven days or, or seven weeks or, or seven years. We do know that, however, in Israelite culture, in the Israelite scriptures, that the number seven symbolizes completeness. And so perhaps we just had to wait however long it took for this period of judgment and testing to be complete. And so in the meantime, we had no choice but to just, just carry on as best as we could. We had to keep him away from the rest of the people. We wouldn't want him to be seen. Uh, otherwise, you know, the great empire of Babylon would be, would be the laughingstock of the entire world. And so we had to keep him out of sight to live uh, amongst the animals in the wild. Uh, and this whole, whole situation, I mean, we had to purge it all from our historical records. I mean, it was the, the greatest uh, kind of national secret ever. And so we had to keep really quiet about it all. And, uh, and so life went on, and we managed the kingdom as best as we could. And we waited and waited and waited. Until one day, King Nebuchadnezzar comes walking back into the palace. I mean, his hair and his beard had grown long. Uh, it was dirty. He was covered in filth and very smelly. His fingers, fingernails had become long like the claws of an eagle. And he had lost a lot of weight, eating nothing but grass. But I could tell from the look in his eyes that he was no longer like a wild animal. He had become normal again. Now, the, the, the palace uh, uh, servants spent some time getting him cleaned up and groomed and well, I'm glad I wasn't part of that entourage. That was a, must have been a difficult task. Uh, and they gave him a, a good feed, of course. And after things had settled, King Nebuchadnezzar came and shared with us about his experience. He said that his sanity was restored the moment he raised his eyes towards heaven to acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and he gives them to whomever he wishes. And King Nebuchadnezzar even wrote down this little poem. Let me read it for you. He wrote that his kingdom is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? And so after this, uh, you know, things slowly return to normal. And we're actually better to, than normal in some ways. So King Nebuchadnezzar continued to lead our great kingdom and our great empire into even greater and better things. But you know, I've been giving this whole experience a, a bit of thought. You know, as I've traveled the world under his instructions to share his message with the peoples of this world, I've thought more deeply about what the Most High God 
wants us to understand from all this. And so if you'll indulge me a little bit to share with you a few of my own personal reflections uh, beyond what the king has said. See, firstly, I realize just how fragile and temporary our human kingdoms are. See, as a citizen of Babylon, I have always taken great pride in our nation, our history, our achievements. I personally have worked hard to climb to the top of the political ladder. I have amassed great fame and fortune for myself and for my family. And yet, looking at King Nebuchadnezzar, he was stripped of all his power and majesty and glory in just one moment like that. All it took was just one catastrophe, one disaster, and he was reduced to nothing. And if that could happen to the most powerful man in the world, well, then it could happen to me too, couldn't it? All it takes is one retrenchment, one cancer diagnosis, one freak accident, and the tree of my life would be chopped down. Now, the Most High God, He's prepared to send trials and sufferings, hardships and adversities in order to shatter our pride and our self-sufficiency so that we are forced to reckon with just how fragile and temporary our human lives and our human kingdoms are. Now, secondly, I've been thinking about the nature of pride. See, what is pride? I think an easy way to remember what pride means is just to look at the, the word pride, how it's spelt. Look at the middle letter of the word pride. It is the letter I. And that is what pride is. It is pride is all about me. It's about I, me, and myself. Pride is placing myself at the center of the universe, or, and my desires at the center of the universe. Now, some people say that pride is the underlying cause of all the other sins. You know, because of our pride, we use people to fulfill our desires. And conflicts happens between people because our pride bumps into someone else's pride and, and, and they're getting in the way of me getting what I want. See, the experience of King Nebuchadnezzar shows us that we are not at the center of the universe. None of us are. No matter how great, no matter how much we have achieved, the Most High God is much, much greater. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. No one can hold back his hand. He does as he pleases. And so this episode has taught me that to, to be truly human is to understand ourselves in relation to this most high God. And in some ways, I think pride kind of deforms our humanity. It makes us less human than we ought to be, and it turns us into a kind of beast. See, the most high God took King Nebuchadnezzar's sanity away in order to expose in physical form, the beastly nature of pride so that we might see it more clearly for ourselves and to be repulsed by this beastly nature. And then lastly, as I was thinking about all this, God showed me the beauty of humility. You see, in Babylon, in our culture, and in many of the other cultures around us, actually, we don't value humility. We, we value things like honor, so if someone has done it, something good, that deserves to be noticed. It needs to be publicly recognized. And so if, for example, if I donate a large sum of money to the local temple, even without me asking, they would naturally take some of that money and they would make a, a statue, a monument, a plaque of some sort and place it outside the temple just to tell everybody 
how great I am in donating this money to the temple. See, good deeds deserve to be acknowledged and to be recognized. And in our culture, boasting about such achievements, that was normal and expected. Which, of course, led to great pride. Now, humility, on the other hand, I mean, in our culture, that, that's a waste. Who wants to be humble? What's the point of donating money if no one knows about it? And I had always thought that humility was a weakness. I mean, humility, doesn't that mean to think lowly of yourself, to think you're worthless and allow other people to abuse you and, and walk all over you? But then after this whole thing, I, upon reflection, I think maybe I was wrong. See, if pride means to elevate yourself higher than you ought so that you are at the center of the universe, then perhaps humility is not lowering yourself to the bottom of the universe, but it's actually understanding rightly, correctly, where you are in relationship with God, neither overly inflated or overly deflated. And I thought back to this young man, Daniel. I remember being particularly struck by him the first time that he interpreted the king's dream. Now, he could have easily walked into the throne room and told the king that he has all the answers to the king's questions. But he didn't say that. He came in and he told the king that no one on earth can do what the king has asked. But only God in heaven can do it. So Daniel didn't take credit for interpreting this dream. I mean, he could have easily said, I know the answer. I'm so great. Listen to me. But he didn't. But he also didn't say that he was useless and incompetent like the other wise men. Daniel was neither boastful nor self-abasing. But he was humble. He was humble because he understood himself correctly in relationship to his God. Now, you see, if a proud person uses their power and authority for themselves, putting their desires at the center of the universe, then humility means to use your power and authority for the benefit of others. And so previously, Daniel used his power and his authority he used it to save the wise men from being executed. And he, Daniel, warned the king to be kind to the oppressed. See, Daniel used his power and authority to care for the people around him. And after King Nebuchadnezzar recovered his sanity, we see that the king had also been humbled. He understands himself now correctly in relationship to God. He gave praise and honor and glory to the Most High God. And he used his power and his authority to benefit others. He has sent this message to all peoples of the earth so that you might all learn from him. But you know what? As much as I think pride is a bad thing now and humility is a good thing, I'm not really sure if such a thing would catch on as a virtue. You know, I bet you it won't be, it won't be long before our king returns to his old self. I mean, our whole world is built on pride, on showing off, on achievements, on our successes. And people who humble themselves, I mean, they always get taken advantage of, don't they? Now, if you think about it, even the gods that we worship in our culture is based on pride. We worship whichever gods we think is the most powerful. We give honor to the gods who are stronger. The only way humility we ever catch on is if somehow 
somehow a really important person comes along and willingly gives up their power and authority. Not like what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't willingly choose to give it up. It was forced upon him. But if someone really important, more important than King Nebuchadnezzar, comes along and willingly gives up his power and his authority, gives up and relinquishes his wealth, his status, and not only that, this person would have to then give himself in service to others, to be the lowest of the low, to make sacrifices of himself so that others will benefit. And to do all that while being abused and taken advantage of, maybe even, even being killed. I can't imagine anyone would ever do such a thing. I can't imagine anyone that humble. But if any, ever such a person comes along, then I think that would totally flip the world upside down. Well, here ends the message from our King Nebuchadnezzar, and I thank you for indulging me today in some of my own reflections. May I leave with you uh, the blessings uh, from our gods. May the Most High God bless you with life and prosperity and good health. Thank you.